Hear the word of the Lord who talks about that very thing. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. Exodus 28, 3. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See the Lord has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver, those who design artistic works. Exodus 35, 35. Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers accompanied by instruments of music Stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals by raising voices with resounding joy. First Chronicles fifteen sixteen. These are the words of the Lord. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts. Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Greg Singleton shared with me that for every Alpha there is an Omega. So this morning we are celebrating an Omega, the culmination of over 30 years of ministry from Beth Singleton to this church fellowship. It brings to a close another chapter of a distinguished history of Christian worship ministry at this site that has included not only her husband, Craig, but two other friends of this church, Drs. Al Washburn and Max Lyle, and those are just the ones I know. It is no exaggeration to say that this church fellowship has benefited over the past 40 years from ministries of music as fine as any in the world. But we are not here to worship the past, but we are here to recognize it and honor it and appreciate it for the foundation it is and it has lain for this fellowship's future witness and ministry. My sermon this morning, while leaning into a variety of texts, will be a little bit more topical than is usual for me. And the topic is music and worship of the living God. We want to look at three things together. First, artistry in the broader context, then the character of music in particular, and conclude with some comments about music as a necessary catalyst and vehicle for God's worship. First, artistry is essential to human life and to Christian discipleship. The church in the modern period has been uneven in her appreciation of and incorporation of all the arts, Several years ago, I had 
the privilege of having lunch with a Christian who was a professional artist, a visual artist, and she said, I love the church and I serve the church, but this is the first church which I have ever been to that I have had not had to forgive first for what they did to me aesthetically, artistically. According to Wheaton English professor Clyde Kilby, our excuse for our aesthetic, our artistic failures has often been that we thought we had to be about the Lord's work. The assumption being that the Lord's business is never artistic, or the word he uses, aesthetic. Artistry is not a decoration that is placed on top of meaning. It's not icing on the cake of content. Art is not ornamental, but revelational. Artistry is not an escape from reality, but a doorway deeper into it. The arts are essential in developing and dealing with the depths of human life. Critic Northrop Frye puts it this way. The arts tell us things about human life that we don't get in any other way. Quite simply, the arts carry us to places that we cannot go without them. That's what Robert Frost meant when he said a poem begins in delight and ends in wisdom. It begins in delight and ends in the clarification of life. Art takes us away and then brings us back and prayerfully and hopefully and regularly changed. Art simply invites us to enter new worlds. Art does not ask us to grasp ideas with our minds so much as ushers us into understanding them experientially. One of the fundamental ways art does this is with the imagination, one definition of which, bringing present to the senses what is absent without them. It does that in part by drawing pictures and painting images. In scripture to say, the Lord is my shepherd, my rock, my fortress, my song. It is to say, Jesus is the way, the door, the life, the light, the resurrection, the bridegroom, the bright and morning star. Moses gave the people of God, or God through Moses, careful instructions about the artistry of the tabernacle. God endowed artists with abilities. On several occasions, his presence is announced by, and perhaps, if it's only slightly heretical to say, born through the presence of artistry, the Bible the book that reveals God to us, through whom God speaks, is among other things, among many things, a work of art. It is full of poetry and metaphor and stories, gripping stories of thrilling imagination and unparalleled beauty. The overriding principle we can glean from the Bible is that God himself regards the arts as essential they are for the glory and beauty of God. Then, secondly, let's observe that God himself is the preeminent artist. The first thing we know about the Lord in the first sentence of the Bible 
is that he is creative. In the beginning, God created. In my advanced uh, class on Christology, the seminary, I have a section which, as far as I know, is unique in Christology classes in the country. Maybe it isn't. But we look at the artistic stratagems that Jesus uses in his speech. Hyperboles, parables, puns, similes, metaphors, and stick with me on this list. Steps, synonymous, antithetical, and chiasmic parallelisms. Jesus communicates because in his incarnated life there is no other way, there is no better way than through speech, through words, through artistry. Jesus was a creative artist. And he knew that art was not mere decoration, but the necessary way in which we say the most important things that can be said. Furthermore, the Bible tells us that we bear God's image in this respect. Writer, philosopher, English uh, intellectual Dorothy Sayers puts it this way. The book is The Mind of the Maker. Great title. The characteristics common to God and humanity is the desire and the ability to make things. And then in another essay, as the image bearer of God, humankind has the ability to create things of beauty and to delight in them. So art is necessary. Without it, we can't say the most important things. Art intensifies life. One Christian poet, his name is Chad Walsh, even is able to say this about it, and I agree with him. The creative artist can honestly see himself or herself as a kind of earthly assistant to God, carrying on the delegated work of creation, making the fullness of creation fuller. So the arts enhance our perception of reality and place us in the world that surrounds us. My favorite contemporary playwright, Tom Stoppard, he's not a Christian, but I I pray for him regularly in his conversion. Sometimes he comes close. And in my favorite play of his, The Real Thing, he has the central character who happens to be a playwright say to his 16-year-old daughter, words aren't sacred, people are. But words should be respected. Put the right ones in the right order and you can nudge the world a little. Or create poems that people will speak after you when you are dead. As Christians, we can say more than Stopper did. We know on the basis of words we can invite people into new worlds. The German poet Rainer Maria Rilke said, We don't so much live in worlds as in descriptions of worlds. As Christians, we know it is our high and holy calling to live in and to invite others to live in God's holy kingdom. A kingdom where the lion will lie down with the lamb. And where justice will roll down like rain and where there is a river which makes glad the city of God. 
and where the sun has promised to wipe away every tear from our eyes and to serve us with a banquet feast of God's own love, God's kingdom. Of all the arts, the section here is music and the created world. Of all the arts, perhaps music is the most fundamental and powerful. I'm speaking out of my field here. I'm speaking in the presence of doctors in musicology and ethnomusicologists, but I'll try to pull it in a theological direction. Music is a part of the very fabric of creation itself. We live in the rhythm of a heartbeat. From the beginning of creation, sings Job, when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy, to the world's consummation when in Revelation we hear every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them will sing to the Lamb on the throne, all creation whether it is redeemed or not, whether it is tone-deaf or not, is musical. Whatever else music is, it is shaped sound. Remember the stanza from the great hymn, This is my Father's world. All nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. In honor of Ken Akins, again, C.S. Lewis puts it well. The Narnia Chronicles, each one of them is kind of written around to re-image, to re-visualize at least one great doctrine. And the magician's nephew, which I've never quoted before, is shaped around the creation. And so if I might have your indulgence to uh, read somewhat at length the way Lewis puts it, almost biblically, certain, certainly Christianly. He writes, in the darkness a voice began to sing. It was very far away. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. There were no words. There was hardly even a tune. But it was beyond comparison the most beautiful sound that had ever been heard. Then two wonders happened at the same moment. One was that the voice was suddenly joined by other voices, more voices than you could possibly count. They were in harmony with it, but far higher up the scale, cold, tingling, silvery voices. The second wonder was that the blackness overhead all at once was blazing with stars. They didn't come out gently one by one as they do on a summer evening. One moment there had been nothing but darkness. Next moment a thousand, thousand points of light leaped out, single stars, constellations and planets, brighter and bigger than any in our world. There were no clouds. The new stars and the new voices began at exactly the same time. If you had seen and heard it, you would have felt quite certain that it was the stars themselves who were singing, and that it was the first voice, the deep one, which had made them appear and made them sing. 
The voice on the earth was now louder and more triumphant, but the voices in the sky, after singing loudly with it for a time, began to get fainter. And now something else was happening. Far away and down near the horizon, the sky began to turn gray. A light wind, very fresh, began to stir. And the sky in that one place grew slowly and steadily paler. You could see shapes of hills standing up dark against it, and all the time, the voice went on singing. Human music making participates in the master's creation and reflects the order and diversity of God's creation. Now, I want to admit that Lewis's prose borders on poetry itself, but just as a couple of Sundays ago, I found a poem which also speaks of what prose has said. So one of the great religious poems of the world, 17th century author John Dryden, says in shorter compass in his great poem, Ode to St. Cecilia's Day, about artists, very much what Lewis has just said. May I share it with you? It's shorter. Or this is just the chorus. It's, the poem would be as long, but the chorus goes this way. Actually, this is the closing stanza. From harmony, from heavenly harmony, this universal frame began when nature underneath a heap of jarring atoms lay and could not heave her head, the tuneful voice was heard from high. Arise, ye more than dead, then cold and hot and moist and dry, in order to their stations leap, and music's power obey. From harmony, from heavenly harmony, this universal frame began. From harmony to harmony, through all the compass of the notes that ran, the diapason, the climax, closing full in man. Music is at the heart of creation, and it can move us and form us and even make the core of our souls. So, what is music's role in our Christian life? Music is mentioned early and often in Scripture. Genesis 4 tells us of the first musician, or really the first artist, Jubal, making music so music is part of the earliest prehistory of humanity. Then regularly and insistently, we are commanded to sing, Exodus 15. Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Psalm 9, I will sing praise to your name, O you who are most high. Psalm 21, we will sing and praise your name. Psalm 27, I will sing praises to the Lord. Psalm 33, sing unto him a new song. Psalm 47, four times in one verse, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. Psalm 71, my lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you. Psalm 95, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. 
Psalm 100, we've already heard this morning, make a joyful noise to the Lord and come before his presence with singing. And it is replete in the New Testament as well. Acts 16.25 describes how at midnight Paul and Silas, even in prison, sing praises to God. Romans 15.9 has Paul saying, For this cause I will sing unto your name. And in the next chapter, chapter 16, I will sing unto your name. 1 Corinthians 14, I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing also with understanding. Colossians 3, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Ephesians 5, sing and make melody to your hearts in the Lord. James 5.13, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing. Hebrews 2.12, in the midst of the church, I will sing praise to you. Revelation 16, sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And it is in the worship practice of Jesus himself as he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark 26, they do so, having sung a hymn. So music in general, and in particular, is of the essence of the Christian life. Well, let's be clear what music isn't in the life of a disciple. Music is not worship. Music, like all the arts, is a gift of God, and like other gifts, they can be abused and perverted from their God-given purpose. One can be a fine musician. One may achieve musical excellence. And one may come nowhere remotely close to worship. Just a few days ago, on August 30th, was the annual MTV Music Awards. Just a cursory glance, which I admit is all I gave, can show you that music can be used as a distraction and a diversion from the beauty and glory of God. Music can become an idol, and as well as being a blessing leading to God, can be a channel leading people away. And just because a person is singing songs with the name Jesus in it doesn't mean they are worshiping God. Worship centers on God. It glorifies Christ. It involves people. It expresses praise. It communicates biblical truth. It encourages faith. It promises redemption. It reflects the incarnation. It builds up the church. It instills vision. It makes an offering. It nurtures communion, and it evokes an amen. Music may aid in that, but it can also provide a detour away from it. Music has the power to shape us or distract us from the deepest levels of our lives. Again, John Dryden, in the same poem I quoted from earlier, says it well. What passion, he writes, Cannot music raise or quell? Raise and quell. Music can have a stirring function. It can have a soothing function. In 1 Samuel 16, when Paul is upset and troubled, I mean Saul is upset and troubled, he calls David into his presence to play for him. And Scripture concludes the story by saying Saul was refreshed and was well and the evil spirits departed from him. 
Well, what is the function of music and worship and music in worship? Of all the musical instruments that may be employed in the praise of God, the human voice has priority. Other instruments can be used primarily in the service of singing to God's people. My favorite theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth, says that singing simply is not an option for the church. It's one of the the church's essential ministries. He puts it this way. The Christian church sings, but it is not a choral society. Its singing is not a concert, but from inner material necessity, it sings. Singing is the highest form of human expression. What we can and must say quite confidently is that the church which does not sing is not the church. And where it does not really sing, but sighs and mumbles spasmodically, shamefacedly, and with an ill grace, it can be at best only a troubled community which is not sure of its cause and of whose ministry and witness there can be no great expectation. The praise of God which finds its concrete culmination in the singing of the community is one of the indispensable forms of the ministry of the church. Singing is a ministry that belongs to all the people of God corporately and together. The congregation is always the primary choir. And of all the art forms, as Beth put so well to us a couple of months ago, it is corporate. We sing together. We could paraphrase Paul, I guess, in 1 Corinthians 12, substituting singing imagery for bodily imagery. And say, the altos say, I have no part with the tenors. And if the basses say, I have no part in the sopranos, all the total would be diminished. Sopranos and altos and basses sing together so that there are many parts but one voice. And when that happens, the church is the song of Christ and individually members of it. The church is a ministry of song for the glory of God. And through congregational singing, our Christian faith is not only expressed, it is to a real and to a deep degree formed. We learn in music the language of faith, the language about God. We learn how to speak about God. Our songs of worship shape our faith. And then while we have already said that music is not the presence of God. It regularly announces it and speaks of it and accompanies it. And I almost can say by God's grace and the power of his spirit, he can be born with it. Hence the lyric that Leonard Cohen wrote in his great anthem of 1984. And even though it all went wrong, I'll stand before the Lord of song, the Lord of song, with nothing on my tongue but hallelujah. Craig Singleton first alerted me to the great text in First Chronicles 13. It runs this way, Then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might with singing and on harps and on stringed instruments and on tambourines, on cymbals and with trumpets. 
And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. The house of the Lord was filled with the clouds so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Many of us have experienced that here. Not with music, but through it. And music here has announced and reflected and mediated for us the beauty and the holiness and, yes, the presence of the glory of God. And for that, we are eternally grateful. And we can say with Augustine in his prayer to the Lord, you have called me. You have cried out and you have pierced my deafness. You have radiated forth and have shined out brightly and you have dispelled my blindness. You have sent forth your fragrance and I have breathed it in and I long for you and I have tasted you and I hunger and thirst for you. I thank God for the ministry of music which God has used not only to express my praise, but to pierce through my deafness and my blindness. So may we commit ourselves this day to allowing ourselves to be conducted by and being led by the one in whom all things sing in his glorious harmony, the living God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, for music which calms our fears and lifts our hearts and speaks to our souls, we thank you. For music which tells the story of your grace and mercy and of the sending of your Son, of his dying on the cross, of his rising on the third day, of his present reign and bestowal of your Spirit. For all those things that take us into the presence of your joy, we thank you. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.